following message is from Narrative Church, a Lutheran church located in Williamson County, Texas. For more information, go to www.narrative.church. As we look at what's coming down the road for us as Narrative Church, we have an incredible story. We started in 2015. We were going great. The Lord was bringing us forward, pulling us along. And in about January 2020, like we were seeing things really move. The momentum was really flying. And I don't know about any of you. Did anything happen for you in 2020? Nothing, just a normal year? So we then spent a year and a half during COVID out at Wrench Brewery in their beer garden, um, which was just such a blessing, but also happens to line up perfectly with the landing pattern for the local Georgetown airport. Um, So it was great to be in the middle of a sermon and just have to wait for that Cessna to slowly meander over and land. But the Lord carried us through that. Through the ups and downs, through everything that's gone on, He keeps bringing us forward. As a church, um, financially, we are in a good spot because of the fundraising we did on the front end that we knew we needed in case there were lean years, we'd be good to go. But we do know we want to reach a point of financial sustainability. And the point of that is not to, you know, buy me a jet or buy Matt a Rolls Royce, although he'd probably appreciate, I don't know, Rolls Royce, Matt, no. Matt's actually driving the car he always wanted to drive, so don't worry about him. Um, So uh, that's not the point. The point isn't for narrative to have the perfect building or for us to have the perfect you know, programs or all those things. The goal is for us to get to a point where we're financially sustainable so we can continue planting churches. And even before that, we're going to continue planting churches. And as we've looked ahead, we've seen the hand of the Lord in this, in that during COVID, we, exactly, Millie's got my back, or was that Riley? Doesn't matter, whoever it was, it was perfect. Um, But during the midst of COVID, we looked at different places, we looked at, um, like I called, if they had a space that would fit us on a Sunday morning, I called it. Hotels, wedding venues, conference centers. Um, talked, you know, if you were with us, we spent five weeks, we were able blessedly to get into the Georgetown Community Center right as it was getting hot in the spring um, of 2021. And that was a great moment. But everything was a closed door to us. We even at one point were in, like the letter of intent stage with a place we could rent over off of Eagle's Nest over here that would have been too small immediately, but your pastor was freaking out a little bit. In my life as a pastor's kid and as a pastor, I'd always told myself, listen, the building, whatever we have, it doesn't matter because it's the people gathered there and we were looking at this spot where they would do build out and it was immediately going to be too small so we'd move to two services but I said words out of my mouth I never thought I'd say which is if you build it they will come (laughs) which is not how the bible works buildings are not a bad thing I've talked I have great friends that pastor and have pastored through building of facilities and those kinds of things but we're looking for where God's leading us. And when the landlord of that place, when we sent him our negotiation and his response was, this isn't a negotiation, we said, thanks, Lord. We asked for direction and you gave it to us. Now, over the past five years, the Texas district of our church body has been looking to relocate their offices that were built in the 60s. 
So it's just full of asbestos. I don't know that. Don't quote me on that. <laughs> As I get in trouble going, oh, asbestos. I don't know. But I just, I'm assuming. Let's move past that. <laughs> but they found out to renovate the offices would be more expensive than to build a new space. So as they looked at different spaces, they knew they wanted to be up here a little ways to get out of central Austin. Right now, the offices are right at 290 and 183. And so over the years, they've found some spots that might have worked and then didn't work out until finally they found this spot. Just literally, if you plug it into Google, it is one mile north of us here on Satellite Drive, just kind of behind Sonic off a of university. And it's going to be built in such a fashion that there will be a chapel that can house, you know, conferences and those kinds of things. Seat about 200 people is what they've told me. Maybe 150. And our district president has said, we want you in there. We want to partner with you in this. To the point when he and I, our recent conversation where we got to sit down over a meal and talk about it, he, as, as a pastor first and a man who planted a church, goes, listen, so there's this little side hallway that I think if you get like a little fence, it'll be perfect for kids' ministry. And I mean, he is just psyched that this building will be used not only as their office, but as a place a church will meet. And so over the coming months, there are certain things you're going to hear that as our leadership looks towards that and is grateful for where we've been, excited for where we're going, as a church together, we're looking to say this isn't a new start, this isn't a launch, this is the next chapter. That so far God has written an incredible story about narrative. And we're looking forward to this next chapter chapter. And as we looked back as a leadership team over the years, um, a question was asked of who is narrative? And it was such a blessing as a pastor to listen to these three ideas pop up, and I didn't prompt it. They didn't come out of my mouth. It was simple, relational, and gospel-centered. We're going to be making a move over the coming months as we look at that next chapter to talk more about simple, relational, and gospel-centered. That's who we've been, and we believe that's who God is continuing to call us to be. And so as we look forward to what's coming, we want to be thankful for where we are. When I called all those places, when the landlord told us no, when I was ghosted by every hotel in Round Rock, we have a relationship with the school district and they called me and said, hey, next week, schools are opening back up. You just have to call Hopewell and see if they'll take you back. And so I started praying. I called Hopewell. And Eva Vick, who's our, the administration person here who we connect with, she didn't hesitate. She said, oh, we want you guys back. We've missed you. And if that isn't the Holy Spirit telling us that where our journey has been, has not been wrong, it's just been our journey. But coming back here was a piece of that. As we look at that next chapter about where the Lord's calling us, part of that process is going to be saying, we want to stay connected here. Even if we worship somewhere else, we want to stay connected, even if it's just in the simple fact of us writing thank you notes every once in a while, dropping off cookies every once in a while, doing breakfast at the beginning and end of the year. We want to stay connected because it's simple, it's relational, it's gospel-centered.
And I start off my sermon with that story of narrative because as we move into this time of Lent, we're going to be talking about life together. Because there's a lot of what we do as a church that's organizational-minded. That's us together that's, you know, hey, narrative is an organization. There's nothing around that. We have an EIN. It's Employee Identification Number. I didn't know that either when I came out of seminary. I didn't know how to get one. Had to learn that lesson. That was fun. We are, you know, chartered with the, the Texas, uh, some state thing that you have to be as an organization. I'm really good at the organizational side of narrative. It's, it's what I'm best at. Um, we have that organizational side of us that we need to have as a church. We need to have good budgets. We need to have good systems. We need to build those things. Those are really a good part of what we do because it keeps us moving together well. But there's this other side of church that we're going to be spending time in over the next couple of months, which is to say we are a people gathered together in a time and a space across the centuries that is the church of the Lord called narrative. Our congregation, the people here, make up who narrative is. So as we look at that, what does it mean for us to have life together? What does it mean for us as the people of God to live life together? One thing is, it's important for us to come and gather together here on Sunday mornings. Uh, Paul writes to Timothy and he says, do not give up the public reading of Scripture and the exhortation. That's Sunday morning, the public reading of Scripture of us together, the exhortation, TED Talks every Sunday, right? So we're doing that together. But part of it also is what do we do as the people as we move throughout our lives? How do we as a church move both together and separately? This idea that I've heard um, used before is people call it gathered and scattered. Right? We gather together on Sunday, but then we are scattered as the people of God sent out. So as we look at that over the coming weeks, as we think about simple, relational, gospel-centered, my prayer is that as we talk about that, we'll have ideas formulating how we as a people can be together. How we can build community together so that as we go out, we can build community where we are. That as we pray for harvest workers at the beginning of worship, we would be harvest workers sent into the field. That our hope and our prayer would be that as we look towards the future that we say, hey, we want to help plant churches, that we're actually planting churches, not just randomly throwing a dart at, you know, northeast Austin going, where should we go? But instead we're saying, hey, we know people in, name that place. We say, hey, we have, we have a community there that there can be a gospel mission happening. So we're going to spend time talking about life together to think about where's God calling us as a community, not just an organization, but the organization melded with the people that is all of us together as Narrative Church. And we're going to start at the very base level. 
And it fits so well with the beginning of Lent. Because as we look at where God is calling us, as we look at what He has done for us, we get this chance to look at Genesis chapter 3. So Genesis 1 and 2 is that creation story. God looks and He says, it is good, right? He creates the heavens and the earth and He says, it is good. He creates the beasts of the field, the birds of the air, the fish of the sea. He says, it is good. He creates fire ants and He goes, well... I made them. It is good, right? You know, so he does all of those things and he looks and he says, it is good over and over and over. And then what happens is we have a fallen angel, one of his creation, who says, I want to be the crown of creation. But God has said, I will create mankind in my image. And so Satan, Lucifer, he wants that. So what he has decided is if he can't have that, he will destroy that which is the chief of creation. And so he steps in and seduces Adam and Eve and we get the fall of mankind. This is Genesis 3, is the fall. And when God encounters it, he speaks all of these things over Adam and Eve and the snake and he speaks the promise of the Messiah who is to come, but he says this, By the sweat of your face you shall eat bread till you return to the ground, for out of it you were taken. For you are dust, and out of dust you will end to dust you shall return. Now this is not only God speaking this powerful thing, but he's speaking very poetically. Dust, earth, Adam in Hebrew. So he's going, listen, you are Adam. You are dust. And to that, you're going to return. He said, listen, I pulled you from it. I can put you back in it. And that is part of the promise. Is now, what was a joy working in the garden, right? Think of your best day of work, right? That day where you're sitting, you're, all cylinders are flowing. No one sent you an angry email. Like, things are going well, right? You finish the day and you're like, listen, I can have a beer, a glass of wine, a Coke Zero, whatever you like, and just sit back and go, I nailed this day. I'm going to eat some food with my family or my friends. I'm going to hang out and I'm going to go to sleep and sleep well because it was a good day. That was every day in the garden. That Adam and Eve, they weren't just lounging around like we think of the garden and go, oh, Adam and Eve sitting at sandals, Garden of Eden, right? Like just hanging out. No, they are working. They are doing what God has told them to do. But it is a joy because they know this is what they were created to do. And so they go and do it. Do they rest? Yeah, remember God, seventh day, nap time, right? So they're resting in the midst of it. But here we have Adam and Eve are working and they love it. And the curse is because of the fall by the sweat of your brow. It'll be hard work. And you're going to wake up, work hard, go to bed. Wake up, work hard, go to bed. From the dust you came and that's where you're going back to. the first thing that binds us together is our pure humanity in the fall. The people here, people joining us online, narrative 
as a church, the first thing that binds us together is that sin has stolen from us the garden. The first thing that binds us together is from dust we came and to dust we shall return. That our days now are laborious. That when our head hits the pillow, there are nights where we can't fall asleep because we're thinking about that thing from three years ago that was not a big deal, but we think it's a big deal. And it just sits on us. We worry about our friends, about our family, about our kids. We look at the world and see everything falling apart. We are united in that nature. From dust we came, and to dust we shall return. And that would be a good Lent sermon. We could end right there and you could all go home guilty. Just shame for the whole week. But there's a reason that when we put the ashes on our forehead, it's in the shape of a cross. Because it's important for us to recognize where we come from. It's important for us to recognize and remember that where we come from is ashes to ashes, dust to dust. Now, what I want you to hear as we talk about this is there's this temptation for us to hear that and go, woe is me, I am a horrible person, I could never be loved, but thanks be to God because he sent Jesus because I'm a terrible person. Now listen, you are, I hate to tell you, like, same, right? But I love as we sing, His Mercy More was a song um, our friends Mark and Laura Pulliam sing at their church, they led a retreat we were at, they sang it, and I just fell in love. And like that day, this was October, I texted Matt, I was like, I want to sing this on Sunday, but let's save it for Lent. So know that like that song came on, I was like, oh yeah, Lord, let's do it. Like I've been waiting for that song because His mercy more handles it so well, which is here is everything wrong, but take it and make it your way. Because here's the thing, that even as we were sinful, even in our sin, God looked down on us, and what he didn't see was pure sin. He saw the creation he loved. There's this temptation that as we hear the story of the fall, we think about being fallen human beings, we solely focus on, woe is me, I'm a terrible person. It's important for us to embrace that reality. To say the reality is, in my sin, I have fallen from God. It is important for us to know that. But the tension and the paradox of that truth is even as I have fallen from God and fallen away, his love didn't end for me. Because the temptation, and what I've heard in, in this day and age, the, the people as they step away from faith, they're calling it deconstruction now. Which deconstructing isn't bad. It's learning more about our faith. It's if you walk away in the midst of deconstruction, then my heart breaks. We want to talk. But one thing I keep hearing from people in stories of this process is they go, all I knew was the church told me I was a horrible person. Well, yeah, but the tension, the paradox of that statement, the two things that we can believe at the same time that feel different are, yes, I'm a horrible person and I am worthy of God's love. Because you see, when you were created in the beginning, before the fall, God looked and said, it is good. And that was not completely robbed by sin. It is good was shadowed over. But God says, but I see it. And so you know what? What comes right before Genesis 
Genesis 3.15 actually comes a little bit before, right before, but deal with it. And Genesis 3.15 says, uh, God looks at the snake and he says, you know, you're, you are cursed to crawl on the ground, which like I went through seminary, I went through Lutheran school, like I've done all this stuff, I'm a pastor's kid. I didn't realize there's this whole flying snakes motif about Satan. And so like when he says you're cursed to crawl on the ground, like it's this whole angel thing, like chopping off his wings. Learn that this year, crazy stuff. But there's this thing, that you're cursed to crawl on the ground because we hear that and we go, duh, he's a snake, God, what are you doing? But it's like this wing chop off thing. <sighs> Fun stuff with Ted. But the snake is now cursed. But he looks at the snake and he goes, listen. Her offspring, the offspring of the woman that now God says, listen, childbearing is going to be rough. That's part of this fall. But he says, listen, from you will come the one that the snake shall strike his heel, but he will crush his head. And there in the beginning, before it ever got out of hand, God goes, here's the promise. The son is coming. That his love didn't falter even in the garden. It wasn't like God said, let's see how this goes. Let's let Adam and Eve go a couple generations and I'll decide if they're worth it. It was immediate. He goes, my love for my creation is so deep. The sun is coming. So Jesus comes and listen to this. Because our sin demands sacrifice. That if we are bound together in our sin, that sin demands a sacrifice for what has happened. And so God says, listen, here's what's going to happen. I'm going to send my son for my people. That my love for them is so deep that Jesus will come to carry the weight of their sin to find freedom. And in that freedom, their lives will change. Paul would write it like this in the book of Romans. We know that our old self was crucified with him in order that the body of sin might be brought to nothing so that we would no longer be enslaved to sin. For one who has died has been set free from sin. So the first thing that binds us together is that sinfulness, that paradox that we could be a people cut off from God but still loved by him. But what brings us back together, that bondage is broken, but we are reunited in a new way. This whole section of Romans is about our identity. That who we are is we belong to God. That even as we read about this death like his, it says in this baptism, we are baptized into his death. And you know what dead people do to gain something? Nothing. Dead people can't do it. And so Jesus dies for us, and in his death, we die to our sin. So if we're bound together at first in this strange paradox of our sinful state, but loved by God, he delivers us into a new place where he says, listen, you are now dead to your sin because you are made alive in Christ. That in our baptism, it is as if a burial. Think about a baptism. We, listen, as Lutherans in, in, in our background, we're like, listen, you want to be sprinkled? We'll do it. You want to dunk into a river? We'll do it. You got a swimming pool? Great. Is there a puddle outside? I'll baptize you. Right? Like that's, we're about it. The water is not the issue. It's what God's doing. So we'll do it wherever. But I think of one of the first baptisms I got to do as a pastor of Narrative Church. It was a friend of a friend of Narrative. And they said, let's do it in the San Gabriel and Blue Hole. 
in October. And I said, great idea. And then I stepped into the San Gabriel at the Blue Hole in October, and I thought, all right, Lord, i got to suffer for you. It was cold. But as I dunked him under the water, that's a good thought. If you were sprinkled, if you were dunked, it doesn't matter. The water worked. But there's this great idea of being buried with Christ when you go under the water. You are buried with him in his death that your sins are put under the water. And when you are pulled out, you are pulled into a resurrection and new life like his. So while sin may have tried to own us, the death and resurrection of Jesus gifted to us by our death and resurrection in baptism means we are a new people. But what does that look like? Well, let's look to Martha here in John in John 11, I touched my forehead a lot, apparently. So my cross now looks just like a nice dot. But in John 11, Martha, what's happened, her brother Lazarus has died. Jesus just missed it. Mary and Martha, these sisters, Lazarus, their brother, they're friends of Jesus, right? Like these are close friends. And so Jesus shows up, but he shows up late, And so Martha says this to him, Lord, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. But even now, I know that whatever you ask from God, God will give you. Can you think of the the distraughtness? You've lost someone you love and you go, if you had been here. Jesus says to her, your brother will rise again. And Martha goes, I know that he will rise again at the resurrection of the last days. Like she gets it. She's like, yeah, I'll see him again, but you could have done it today. And in her frustration, Jesus looks at her and says, I am the resurrection and the life. Whoever believes in me, though he die, yet shall he live. And everyone who lives and believes in me shall never die. Do you believe this? So she comes at him in her frustration and her anger. And I love that because here's the thing. Jesus takes it. He goes, okay. I hear you. Right, this is right after the verses of Jesus wept. He hears about Lazarus, his friend, dying, and it says Jesus wept. So he knows what she is going through. But he allows her the question. He says, I am the resurrection and the life. He's saying, listen, you've heard on the last day there will be a resurrection, but it is me. I am the one who does it. I am the resurrection and the life. And he says, do you believe this? And this is her response. Yes, Lord, I believe that you are the Christ, the Son of God who is coming into the world. Yes, Lord, I believe you are the Christ, the Son of God who is coming into the world. Every Sunday, when we confess the Apostles' Creed, we are saying this. And here's what I want us to think about. As a community bound together by the death and resurrection of Jesus, if our confession is that He is the resurrection and the life, how is that changing who we are? It's important for us to come together on Sundays to hear the Word, to hear the exhortation of what it says. 
But what does it mean for us as a people gathered together if we confess that Jesus is the resurrection and the life? So I told you earlier about this guy, Dietrich Bonhoeffer, who wrote a book called Life Together. Bonhoeffer was a Lutheran pastor in the 30s and 40s. He spent time in the U.S., he learned from churches over here, but he was especially relevant in the 30s and 40s in Germany during the rise of National Socialism. That as the church gave up more and more ground to a state that was looking to destroy it, as it gave up more and more ground to a confession that confessed the fewer over the Savior, a group of confessing pastors came together and said, this is not who Jesus is. To the point that Bonhoeffer would be so closely linked with the underground that during one of the sweeps after an attempt on Hitler's life, he was taken in and would be hung in a concentration camp in 1945. But it was his confession that Jesus is the resurrection and the life. He wrote a book called Life Together, about who we are as Christians. And in it he says this, So between the death of Christ and the last day, it is only by gracious anticipation of the last things that Christians are privileged to live in invisible fellowship with other Christians. It is by the grace of God that a congregation is permitted to gather visibly in this world to share God's word and sacrament. Not all Christians receive this blessing. The imprisoned, the sick, the scattered, the lonely, the proclaimers of the gospel in heathen lands stand alone. They know that visible fellowship is a blessing. We are blessed that we can gather as the people of God together to see each other, to exhort Scripture to grow together as we live a life where God calls us. And so the question I want us to be thinking about as we walk into these coming weeks of life together is this. If we are people of the resurrection, what does our community look like? If we're people of the resurrection, what does our community look like? If our confession is that Jesus is the resurrection and the life, how does that transform what we see? How does it transform who we are gathered together and scattered into our lives? And I don't have an answer for you right now. Come back next week. See, this is one of those, like, you know, episodic sermon series. We've got to come back more. See, I'm lining it up. Be in church. Or join us online. But here's the joy we have. That as we think about this together, we live in the hands of Jesus. That the joy we have that Bonhoeffer so eloquently talks about is that we have the joy to gather together as the physical body of Christ to see his people together here. It seems simple, right? Blue chairs in a cafeteria in a middle school. But this is an outpost of the kingdom of God and his people gathered together. 
It is both completely unspecial. I had to remove a chair this morning because it had syrup all over it. And in the same vein, paradoxically, it is the light of the world in this place. Because Jesus says, wherever two or three are gathered in my name, there I am. It is both completely ordinary and extraordinary. And that's what I want us to think about as we look towards our future together, as we talk about life together, that we would sit and we would think and say, simple, relational, gospel-focused. If we are resurrection people, if we declare Jesus is the resurrection and the life, what does that mean for our community? Let's pray. Lord, we give you thanks that though we were bound by sin, we would die to that life because of what you have done. Though the enemy would try and tear us down, we find new life in the death and resurrection of Jesus that we were bought at a price. Lord, as we ponder this question together, what does it mean to be resurrection people in community? Do more than we could ask or imagine. We pray this all in your Son, Jesus' name. Amen.